So if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, open it up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at uh, perhaps one of the most famous stories in the scriptures, uh, particularly one of the stories that like, isn't about Jesus. They're all about Jesus, I know. But this is a parable. It's a story, and it's a famous one. And so I want to look at this story tonight in Luke chapter 15. And I want to look at it in, in two ways. Uh, the first, in what it teaches us about our phrase for this campaign, every person needs a family and every family needs a home. I want to look at it in that. And then secondly, I want to look and see then what it compels us to do about this campaign when we understand the story and the text. Luke chapter 15 is a famous story, uh, uh, three stories, trilogy of stories, all dealing with things being lost and then things being found. And then we get to uh, the latter part of Luke chapter 15, and we see what is in my Bible entitled the parable of the lost son. And for many of you in your Bibles, it probably reads the parable of the prodigal son. And this morning, I want to, morning, it's evening. This evening, uh, I want to look into the story and and see what, what it's all about. The first verse says this, Jesus went on to say, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger one said to him, father, give me my share of the property now. And the father did. We've probably all heard modern interpretations of this story, but the younger son in the story goes to the father. Uh, There's two sons, a younger and an older, and the younger son, who would have gotten a smaller share of the inheritance, approaches the father and in essence says, I'm not interested in relationship with you. I'm interested in what it is that you can give me and what it is that you can provide for me. So for those of you who have children, imagine this conversation with your child. Um, I would prefer that you die, parents, and you give me your money than I would to stay in your home and be in relationship with you. This is the conversation that is occurring between younger son and father. And the father, in what is a crazy act, um, basically listens to the son and does what he asks. And so it says he splits up his property Uh, So he liquidates a bit and he uh, gives the inheritance and he gives a portion of it to the younger son and a larger portion to the older son. And now the father is going to live, I guess, with the older son because he's liquidated his assets. And so the younger son takes his share of the inheritance. And from the story in the hired hands, we can assume it was a pretty good chunk of money. And he goes, it says he leaves home. Now, leaving home here was physical and actual. He departed from home, but it's also um, an analogy of a spiritual departure. And what the son was saying is, I don't respect your way of life, father. I don't expect your values. I don't uh, respect your ideals. I don't respect the way that you operate your life and this household. I want out. And so he leaves to a distant land. The wording there is to give us the implication that he's not just moving next door. He is completely rejecting his father and he's rejecting his upbringing. And so he goes to the distant land and he says there he lives wildly, recklessly. He spends the money on what is called wild living and parties and friends and all sorts of stuff. And what has been taught often and is true is that the younger brother is a, uh, an analogy or a metaphor for um, what it's like for any person who rejects the standards and the values of God and says, I don't want anything to do with you, God, my heavenly father. I want to go to a distant place and live my own life and choose my own way. 
And the younger son represents a rejection of God uh, that says, I want to pursue sin or pleasure as I please. I don't desire actual relationship with you, but if you can give me some money or some stuff on the way to help me out, that would be great. And that's exactly what happens. And so the younger son lives this life. And as the story is teaching us, eventually the younger son runs out of money and he gets to the end of it. And when the money dries up, the friendships disappear, a famine hits the land and he is left in a place of absolute despair. In his storytelling, what Jesus is trying to get across is that the path to salvation, and when I say salvation, I don't mean like eternal salvation. I mean like self-salvation, like the, the path to self-satisfaction in life or, 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 or trying to live the life that you want to live. The path that says, I'm going to um, live a good life based upon my own value system in the story Jesus is showing, that's going to lead to failure. It might last for a while, and some of us have walked this life where it lasted for a while, where there was fun and there was joy and there was pleasure and there was excitement. And then we got to a place in life where all of that dried up or it just felt empty. We thought, well, what now? I've tried everything. And the fact that this younger son was, was financially broke was a picture of being emotionally, spiritually broke. And after this moment of being emotionally and spiritually broke, he found himself in the literal muck the mud, the pigsty. He found himself in a great place of shame, in a great place of, I don't know what to do next or where to go in life. And so finally, when he's in that, it says in the text that he came to his senses and he decided maybe I should go back home because in my father's house, he treats his employees or his servants in the text, he treats his, his servants way better than I'm being treated right now. But the son knows something, that because he has rejected and rebelled and completely in that culture dishonored his father, he could never go back to home and say, and I want to be your son again. He has dishonored his father in such a great way, created so much separation that there's no going back with the same status and same identity that he previously enjoyed. He's wasted it once and for all. And so he says, but maybe I can go back as a servant. And as you've probably heard in the story, he writes himself a little speech and he gets back and he hops on the road and he starts walking back home. And in a beautiful story of redemption, it says in verse 21, 20, he was still a long way from home when his father saw him and his father's heart was filled with pity. And he ran, he threw his arms around his son and he kissed him. Then he goes into his speech saying, I know I can't be your son anymore, um, but can I just please be one of your employees? Can I just work for you? And the father cuts him off mid-speech and says, nonsense, you were lost and now you're found. You were away and now you're home. And he starts barking out orders. The father says, get the fattened calf and slay it. Get the robe and the ring and place it on him. Gather up all of the employees and let's throw a party. And has been often taught and is so true. For those of us who see ourselves in the younger brother, having rejected, rebelled, and run from God, there is no distance. There is no shame. There is no low moments that is too far away too shameful or too low for God the Father to welcome us back. 
And some of you have felt that redemptive love when you turned around and the moment you turned around, you saw the heavenly father waiting for you and it broke you. And you rejoiced in the grace of being welcomed back into the family. And you see in the story that the, uh, the re-entry, uh, what happened on re-entry was a, uh, uh, the fattened calf was slayed and the robe and the ring and all of that. And there's this big party. And many times, as I've heard this sermon preached, this is where the sermon ends about younger brothers being welcomed back home. And don't get me wrong, everyone is invited to experience redemption. And our church home must always be a place where the youngest of brothers can always come back home and experience Jesus, where they must always be welcomed, where we do not let their sin define them, but we let the cross define them. Always this place must be that, a place where eventually if somebody from our church runs out, they know they can always come back because we'll welcome them as the father did. But the story's not over. See, at the beginning, he says, there was a man who had how many sons? Two sons. The man had two sons. In fact, if you look at who the audience was of this particular story, I would propose to you that this story isn't even really about the younger son. That the younger son is actually just filler in the story. See, the audience was a bunch of Pharisees who would have never identified themselves as younger sons in the story. They would have always seen themselves as older sons in this story. I would submit to you that this story is really a story about the older son, not the younger son. Let me tell you about the older son. In the meantime, the older son was out in the field. Why was he out in the field? He was working. What do older sons do metaphorically here? They work. They work hard. They always do what they're told. In the story, you're going to see that the older son never left home. What it means that he never left home was this. He was obedient. He was moral. He was good. You would look in and say, that's an all-star church attender. He volunteers. Well, we'll say it in our modern language right now. He did phase one, phase two, and phase three. And his, connect, or his pledge card was the first one in the box. He did 50 of the 250 pain hours laid 2,000 square feet of flooring. He's on every ministry team that we have. That's the older son. The older son, in the meantime, he's out in the field. And as he's out in the field doing what older brothers do, uh, being obedient and living a moral life and working hard, he hears some music. On his way back, when he came close to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked them, hey, what's going on? The servant says, your brother has come back home. The servant answered, and your father has killed the prize calf because he got him back safe and sound. And the older son said, yes, I've missed him. He did not. The older brother was so angry that he would not go into the house. 
So his father came and begged him to come in. Let me make some observations. Both sons rejected the father. The very next line, or one of the very next lines, the older brother says this, what have you given me? Both sons could only view relationship with the father in the context of what's in it for me. Both sons, the older and the younger, did not know the heart of the father. But here's the scary part. The younger son was obvious in his sin, and he knew that his sin had separated him from his father. What had separated the older son from the father? You know what it was? His good behavior. His moral, upright, good behavior separated him from the father's heart. There are two ways to reject God. One is self-salvation, self-realization through sinful lifestyle, immorality. The second way to reject God is through good behavior that says God, that leads you to a point where you feel like you can say this, God, what have you ever given me? But he spoke back to his father. Look, all these years I've worked for you like a slave and I've never disobeyed your orders. What was more hurtful to the father, you think, when the younger son said, I'm leaving to go choose sin? Or when after his entire life, the older brother said, I never loved you in this work. I have felt like a slave. Which one do you think hurt him more? Look, all these years I've worked for you like a slave and I've never disobeyed you. And the father does not come back at him on this. He says, I've never disobeyed your orders. And what have you given me? Not even a goat for me to have a feast with my friends. But this son of yours, he won't even call him his brother. He won't even call him his brother. But this son of yours wasted all your property on prostitutes. And when he comes back home, you kill the prized calf. The older son is a picture of how religious moralism is just as antagonistic to the gospel of grace as sin. The older brother is a picture that one of the things as powerful as sin that can separate us from God is good behavior that we think earns merit before God. It's just as dangerous. In fact, I would argue this. It's more dangerous. You know why? Because at the end of the party, 
I'm sorry, at the end of the story, who's at the party? The younger son or the older son? The sinful one or the moral one? The younger son's at the party. The older son is not. If you don't know what the party is, it's heaven. And when there's a party in the Bible, you want to be there. What stopped the older brother from going to the party? His crazy, sinful lifestyle? No. His religious behavior. That's what stopped him from getting into the party. Now, how is this story redeemed? And you say, and how does this story relate to our home campaign? Oh, I'm getting there. How is this story redeemed? See, there's something important in this story that I intentionally skipped over in verse 12. The younger one said to him, Father, give me my share of the property now. I kind of hit it. So the man divided his property between his two sons. The man divided his property between his two sons. The man owned this. He gave some of it here, and he gave some of it to there. Which means at the end, when the younger brother comes back home, and when the calf is slain, and when the robe and the ring are placed on him, who owned the calf? And who owned the robe and the ring? The older brother. He owned it. Let me say it this way. The only way that younger brothers get back into the home is at the expense of the older brothers. The only way that younger brothers can journey back home is when the older brother at his or her expense, at their expense, allows them back in. See, what was required for the older brother, what we see uh, uh, took place for the younger son to be back in, a sacrifice was made and an identity was restored. The calf was slain. A sacrifice was made, and the robe and the ring represent an identity given back to the son. And so when the son was, uh, the younger son was, was in the mock and the mod thinking, I'm too ashamed, I can never go back, I can never carry the name of son again because of how I have sinned. When he comes back and the father gives him the ring and the robe, what he's saying in that moment is, I am restoring your previous identity. I'm not going to define you by your sin. I'm restoring your previous identity. But what's actually happening here is he's taking some of the identity of the older brother and he's passing it on to the younger brother. I joked that when the younger brother came home and the older brother found out about it, that he exclaimed, yes, I've missed him. He did not. He judged him. He knew his sin. He says it later. Your son has raced, wasted all this money on this and that. He knew his brother's sin. He knew his brother's sin, and he never once left home to go find his brother in the mud. 
You know what this story is missing? It's not missing a loving father. You know what it's missing? It's missing an older brother who cares about his younger brother. What this story is missing is an, un, an older brother who by his own desire wants to see his younger brother come back home. Uh, but like all good parables, this story points us to a better story. It points us to a better story. It points us to a bigger story. It points us to a better older brother. It points us to an older brother named Jesus who understood the heart of the father and in the beauty and in the perfection of the heavenly home, looked down to earth and saw all of us sinful, rebellious younger brothers and said, I will go rescue them, father. See, what the better story has is an older brother who comes down into the mud with us. And the only way for a younger brother to get back into the family, a sacrifice must be made. And an identity must be restored. And so Jesus, the better older brother who had all of the inheritance of heaven, who was the heir and is the heir to the throne and owns all of heaven, comes down to earth and he looks and he knows that a sacrifice must be made for the younger brother to come back. But he realizes that there is no calf big enough. And so what does he do? He says, I will be the sacrifice. I will be the sacrifice. And the older brother knows that uh, for the younger brother to come back in and to be a son again, an identity must be restored. So what does the older brother do? He says, take mine. Take mine. You, in your sin and in your shame and in your rebellion of my father, you can have my identity. And so when the father looks at, at, at you now, he'll see you wearing my robe and he'll see you wearing my ring. And so you will not be defined anymore by your sin, but by my righteousness, by the righteousness of the better older brother. And see, what the better story shows us is the heart of an older brother who is willing to pay at any expense, at his expense, whatever the cost might be, so that younger brothers might come home. So I'm making an assumption today, friend. The assumption is that you're in Christ right now. And there's a tendency, Paul warns us about it in Galatians, that once we come into Christ, we were younger brothers oftentimes, then we come into Christ now and we tend to uh, um, get this older brother-ishness coming over us. And instead of remembering ourselves in the, in the sin and the muck and all of that in our lives, we look out like the older brother and say, what's this party about? That person's been wasting their life. Look at all the good I've done. God, what's in it for me? And the story teaches us that there's supposed to be one thing in it for us. There's supposed to be one thing that we're most excited about. It's that the younger brothers come back home. That's what we're supposed to be about. See, I told you we need to raise 100 grand. And I showed you this card. 
And there is an older brother way to raise money. And it's worked for centuries and generations. And the older brother way to raise money is for me to look at you and, and to give you all of these older brother reasons on why you should give. Give because you'll get back. Give because one day your grandkids are going to grow up in this building. Give because look at all of the great ways you'll be able to use it. Give because there's a kitchen. Give because once it's done and it looks beautiful, you can post pictures on Instagram. Give because, and, and, and at the heart of all of these, uh, on the other end, if we're not careful, every reason that we throw out there for giving all these older brother reasons, you know what they all come back to? Somehow it's good for me. And you can fund churches playing to the older brother-ishness. But I refuse to do that. And that's not who we will be. Let me tell you why to give. To not give just according to your Dave Ramsey budget or your Excel, but to give generously. I will make you no promise on what you might get in return because I don't know how that works out in God's economy. I will make you one promise. If you give, you will be a part of welcoming younger brothers back home. And if that's not enough, then repent of your older brother-ishness and walk into the party with the rest of us. Because our quest is to see people come to Jesus. All of that other stuff, all of those other motivations, I won't throw them all out the window is bad. I've got a daughter too, and she gets excited about coming to church. You know, it's gonna be real fun when she brings her friends from school and they get to know Jesus. So I want you to give to this campaign and I want you to give generously. And I don't want you to give for you. I want you to give for every younger brother that's out there because every person needs a family and every family needs a home and we're gonna welcome them to this one so that they might be changed by Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.